All right, folks, this is Rabble Rousing Rich Bergeron. The tornado, Tony Pennycock. And we got a big and show. And Psychic Tom, full of predictions. Yes, we got a big show coming your way. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, we got. Yeah, don't cut Psychic Tom off. I know. <laughs> uh, I'm just not used to him introducing <laughs> himself, right? But uh, yeah, we got so much stuff to talk about. We got a uh, big UFC event coming up, big one just passed. Uh, we also have pro boxers uh, being invited to the Olympics now. It's a big story this week. Um, also, we talked about yeah. it before, but uh, they're officially saying no headgear for the guys, but the girls can wear headgear for boxing, which is kind of weird. Um, but that's how they're going to do it. And um, it's kind of a late stage to say, hey, pro boxers, now you can be in the Olympics because uh, a lot of these guys have obviously got uh, matches lined up for them. I think a lot has to go with it, to be honest. Um, if you go back, and I know we've talked about this many times on the air, you look at some of the uh, famed Olympic teams, and I'm not talking about the Olympic teams. Like, when you talk about Olympic teams, 76 and 84 were two of the prime ones. 76 had, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, the Spinks Brothers, Howard Davis, you know, who just recently passed away. Um, you know, we're top-notch guys. You know, great, great team. Um, you know, then we had 84. You know, you had Magic Taylor, you had Pernell Whitaker, um, Tyrell Biggs, Mark Boone, you know, a the Holyfield, who was a bronze medalist. You got, got screwed out of the gold. Um, and then after 88, with, um, you know, that, you had, like, the Rick Bowes, the Roy Joneses, um, after that, you know, they had some star power on there, you know, you had Dale in 92, and uh, 96 had a lot of good fighters on there that didn't win gold medals, you know, you had Tarver on there, you had Floyd Mayweather on there, who, um, I was watching the clip the other day that the referee actually raised his hand, <laughs> and the other guy caught the decision. Um, you know, the only guy to win a gold medal on that one was David Reed, and that was he came from a come from behind one punch knockout. Um, so it's like as star studded as some of those crops were of fighters um, after '88, the problem was the Olympics the fun out of it. That Olympic boxing, you know, you know, something that uh, for the large part was ignored. So now, I think what they're trying to do is, one, getting rid of the headgear, giving it more personality, like the 76 team, you know, they, they weren't using headgear. Um, and then also, maybe getting some names in there. Because for a Boston fan like me, when 92 was coming up, and that was really the first year I really started following the Olympics, 88, I kind of knew some of the guys, but 92, I was really reading Ring Magazine and had a preview on each guy. Got to know the fighters before they got there, and they were like, "Okay." Um, and they were really obviously a lot of the focus was on Oscar. Um, Ninety-six, you got to know a lot of the a lot of the guys, uh, especially, and that was a star-studded crop. You know, unfortunately, they didn't win. Um, you know, we had three Philadelphia representations there, so I was really into it in '96. Um, but guys that came out of that were not gold medalists. That being Mayweather, Tarver. Um, you know, those are the, the two that really stick in my mind right now. So I think what they're trying to do is to get the name factor back in there because right now, I'll tell you, in 2000, I really didn't know a lot of the guys going into it. Same thing with 04, uh, 2008, 2012. I really didn't know a lot of the guys going into it. You know, you didn't have the same vested interest that I did in 88, 92, and 96. And I think that's what they're trying to do. Like, like right now, um, because they haven't obviously selected their team yet, but say like they had their team, and I didn't know any of the guys, and Ring Magazine didn't do a profile on them, I'm not going to have any interest in watching that. Where is, say they say, just and I'm just going to use names only right now, say Mayweather decides to go get his gold medal. He decides to go back 20 years later and get his gold medal. Well, guess what? A lot of people are going to watch that. Right. You know, you get fighters out there, uh, say, and obviously he's much older, but say Roy Jones was going to avenge that 88 debacle, <laughs> you know, 20, he's, you know, eight years later or whatever it is. It's too old for the people pros. Never mind the amateurs. People, <laughs> yeah, people, people are going to say, yo, shit, I, I want to see that. You know, I want to see Roy Jones, you know, get what he deserved almost 30 years ago. Um, so that would have a vested interest. 
Um, or you have other guys, say like Andre Ward, defending his gold medal that he won in, um, I think it was 2004. That would have people's interest, you know, that have followed a lot of these fighters. Or maybe not world champion fighters like that, but other <coughs> top quality fighters. A guy like Danny Garcia, world champion, who won a very controversial decision in the Eliminator on that stupid point system that, you know, that he lost his chance at getting to the Olympics. Maybe guys that lost out of that opportunity because of that goofy scoring system they had for so many years, now they're getting rid of that. Maybe this is a chance for guys that never had that opportunity to go back and maybe get something that they really wanted. Yeah, and uh, Klitschko has been one of the names that's been thrown in there as uh, somebody who wants to do it. Um, unfortunately, he like I said, he's got, he's got prior commitments, uh, even though uh, Tyson Fury hasn't really decided if he's going to retire or fight uh, Klitschko again. He says, uh, Vladimir says, I would if I could, uh, but he has uh, this rematch with Fury is supposed to be going on in the spring here. Um so that would take precedence over any attempt to make his uh, Ukraine team. And uh, he's 39 years old. That's the other thing. And the uh, the uh, AIBA, the uh, International Boxing Association, which is the, um, the authority there for uh, Olympic boxing, has an age limit of 40. So he's uh, creeping up there. I think he'll be 40 before they... Uh, they start. But uh, the other uh, problem here uh, outlined by uh, WBC President Mauricio Suleiman says, uh, he says uh, the AIBA does not have a clue of what boxing means and represents. He says uh, he's predicting dangerous mismatches between experienced professional fighters and amateur boxers if the pros take the invitation. <coughs> um, which could be true, but I mean... That's the problem with you when you have this so late. I wouldn't uh, mind if this was last year they announced this, and a bunch of pros end up on all the teams. You know, and you got no amateurs. That kind of destroys the future of the sport. But you know, at least you're not going to have mismatches. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, USA Boxing Executive Director Mike Martino told the Associated Press that he thinks it's highly unlikely. Uh, for any pros to make the U.S. team in Rio. But um, Suleiman uh, had put out a news release and everything on this, and it, it, the headline was, AIBA has reached rock bottom. <laughs> and they eliminated headgear, you know, that's the other part of this. Uh, so he's he's got a problem with both of those things. Um he says that's showing that it does not seem to care about the physical well-being of the fighters or the correct practice of the sport around the world. How can multi-day boxing tournaments be conducted safely and fairly without headgear? The youth of the world deserve to have the options and opportunities in amateur boxing. So, um, you know, they're trying to make this AIBA like the pros in so many ways. It's almost, it is the pros. <laughs> There's no blurry line. The Golden Gloves is now going to be the only purely amateur event out there, um, you know, other than college stuff. So it's just kind of crazy that uh, they're going in this direction. But uh, like Tony said, you know, they need they need the eyes on the sport. And uh, for the U.S., hey, maybe we'll get some gold medals finally. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I think you're going to see um, a better showing for the U.S. team now. What had hurt hurt them um, in the last few Olympics that they got their team so late? You know, um, where other countries, you know, really were grooming their fighters, you know, for years for this as a team, um, and you know, working on strictly that, you know, work. and believe me, trust me, I trained in a professional gym in Philadelphia with a lot of top notch fighters. We did not train for a style like that. We trained, you know, you were, and obviously you start the sport of the amateur. Then they always said about a guy like me, I would have done better fighting as a professional than I did as a collegiate because my style was more of a pro style, more which didn't really count points in college ranks. Same thing with the Olympics because we use quote unquote Olympic style boxing. Um, so it'll say, 
you know, the, the plays don't, they don't count. Um, you know, so in Philadelphia, we're trained. You work on the body. I was very methodical. So I was wearing a guy down. By the time the, the, the final bell rang, I'm behind on the cards. Hmm. Um, and that's the thing with a lot of these boxes that train in these professional gyms, Philadelphia, Detroit, Los Angeles, New York, wherever, employ in the professional ranks. And, you know, it doesn't carry as well to these amateur styles where you have, why does Cuba always dominate? Because Cuba for years got it and left and went to the United States. <laughs> they were training strictly for this Olympic scoring style. Right. Now that you're getting, and these guys were seasoned, they were, you know, men like this against a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Um, so now it's, you know, you're going to be getting a style that a lot of these U.S. kids are more accustomed to. You know, it's still going to be the three-round fight, I'll, I'll give you that, but it's a better suited style, you know, for them. What do uh, Tony Zale, Carmen Basilio, and Mike Tyson have in common? Um, Tony Zale, Carmen Basilio, and Mike Tyson. Question. Um, <laughs> I was going to say middleweight champions, but that obviously wasn't Tyson. I'm going to say, and this is purely speculation, they lost in the Olympic trials and then knocked out the person that beat them in the, as a professional. I, I have no idea if that's true, but uh, can't have started. Well, I mean, well that, that's Pretty nice. Easy. I could say, you know, that's you a could throw Sugar Ray Leonard in there, Rocky Marciano. <laughs> you could throw a lot of names in there, just not Mike Tyson, Carmen Basilio, and Tony Dale. Uh, the only, the reason, only reason I mention it... I said, oh, go ahead. The only reason, only reason I said what I said was because the first fight after Mike Tyson got knocked out by Buster Douglas when he came back, he fought Henry Miles, and then Tyson knocked him out one round in HBL. <laughs> well, the real thing they have in common, other than the um, International Boxing Hall of Fame, is uh, their work. The family was stolen last November from the Hall of Fame in Canastota. Four of them I were Carmen Basilios, uh, and the others belonged to Tony Zale, the Man of Steel. And Mike Tyson has jumped in to offer a reward, including a signed boxing glove, um, which I know is worth at least $300, because <laughs> I have one. Uh, but uh, he says, the championship belt represents the years of blood, sweat, and tears the fighter goes through just to enter the ring, uh, in a Facebook post that uh, Tyson put out on this. And uh, so anybody with information on these belts that were stolen is asked to call the Canastota Police at 315-697-2240 and then uh, get in touch with Mike Tyson when they find the shit. Because <laughs> he's got some money for you. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool, though. Um, and it's great that he's in a position to offer reward. You know, he's been in some, some tough spots over the years. But it seems like he's doing all right now. Just bought a new house. He's got his... Uh, his uh, television show there. He's, he's even done some commentary recently, which answered the question of why he doesn't do more of it, I think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool gesture for him to reach out to those families and see if he can do something to get those belts back where they belong. And, um, you know, what do you do with a stolen belt? you, you got to hide it. What good does it do to have that? Yeah, well, good point. Point. Especially when Tyson's out there offering a reward. <laughs> Let me show you my belts. Oh, wait. I can't do that. Anyway, um, speaking of boxing, we're still on that. We've got uh, a lot of uh, fights to talk about. Over the weekend, we had a big, the biggest fight uh, pretty much in the world was uh, Scott Quigg versus Carl Frampton. And uh, it turned out to be a split decision. Frampton went on two cards and uh, Quigg winning on the other one. But uh, it was actually a friend of mine on Twitter, uh, a guy named uh, Paul Gibson, I believe, who did a whole uh, shadowing of uh, Frampton for this whole uh, weekend. He was with him for... Uh, he's actually based in the UK himself, obviously, because probably wouldn't be able to do that if he wasn't. Uh, and now uh, we're working on trying to get him on the show. 
and he, cool. he writes uh, writes a lot of interesting stuff on not just uh, present time boxing, but the history of boxing itself. And uh, just a scholar and a gentleman all around. And we're going to try to get him on the show one of these days. We're also still working on uh, Ray Mancini. I haven't called him, but I did notice there was an article in one of the Ohio papers about him recently, Tom. Talking about how he's getting involved in the production business, Hollywood production stuff out there in Ohio. Mm. I don't know if you caught that, but big news, I guess. He's uh, really making headway and uh, trying to get Wall Street investors, and so I guess that's why he's so busy. <laughs> in addition to his boxing commitments, we also had uh, Leo Santa Cruz getting another win over Kiko Martinez. We had uh, Terrence Crawford, unfortunately, buddy Hank Lundy. By, uh, I think it was yep. fifth round TKO there. Fifth round and um, those were the big fights last week. Um, this week we've got a, a couple big ones. Uh, Matisse is fighting. We got Rosalind Chagaya versus, versus Lucas Brown. Um, a couple other ones to get to. Uh, but you'll like this story, Tony, before we get to the the big schedule fights. Uh, this, this is a, a, <laughs> a boxing record you might be interested in trying to beat. Okay. Uh, Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, this record was just broken by a guy who's 59 years old, believe it or not. He boxed for a staggering 127 straight rounds. Ooh. And it uh, wasn't just against pushovers either. Um, 59-year-old guy, uh, eight and a half hours it took him. So uh, talk about a work day. <laughs> yeah, it is a work day. He's, he said, uh, I felt like a truck had hit me the next morning. Everything in my body from the tops of my fingers to my toes was sore. It was by far the toughest thing I've ever done uh, for the record to stand. And uh, among the opponents that he had for these 127 rounds were uh, Phil Waugh and boxing stars Nigel Ben and Saki Obika. Oh, wow. Well, And you would think uh, the closest he came in, came to uh, giving up would have been after a punch or something. But it uh, turns out in the 80th round, he thought he'd torn his hamstring. So that was the only um, point where he was close to quitting. But uh, he said, I was very, very determined not to get out of the ring. They would have had to knock me out and drag me out. He also said with the early rounds, there's the adrenaline and excitement, but that wears off. Then you've got to stay focused because it's unbelievably mentally exhausting. What do you think, Tony? You can do 130? Ooh, I don't know. I've worked a long night. <laughs> a lot of rounds. And uh, the previous record was um, uh, 123 rounds, believe it or not. And um, this training for this fight was six months long. He actually is a a newcomer. Uh, He competed in the Australian Masters Games in 2013 and won gold. And he only began boxing seven years ago. But um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It also uh, raised about $200,000, Australian, I assume, for a, uh, a charity. Some pretty cool stuff there. Let's see what else we got. Also, uh, as far as... Um, Big boxing schedule here goes. I don't know why that's slowing down there. We got a lot of fights coming up this weekend. Tomorrow night as well. Not really a whole lot going on tonight. Did you get to watch the uh, Lundy fight, Tony? Uh, not live. 
Um, I was at my alma mater this past weekend. I decided on Friday that I was going to go up to Lock Haven University for their boxing show. I'm glad that I did. I got my dad out for the weekend. And um, it was funny because we said we hadn't decided we were going until almost literally the last minute. And then on Friday, we did our show Thursday night. And then, um, you know, Friday, I was talking to him in the morning. And then we were both kind of trying to make the other one commit. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, he's really been battling depression. And I was worried about people, you know, trying to talk to him and if he, you know, started to feel uncomfortable. So he was like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, what do you think? Well, you make the call. I said, well, I can go if you can go. That sounds like you're putting it on me. I said, listen, I am saying I will go, but if you don't feel you can go, then I won't go. And well, what do you want to do? I said, okay, I'll go. Well, then I'll go. Okay, fine, let's go. Order the pizzas, because we always bring these tomato pies up there from Philadelphia. Um, It's basically like a cold pizza with the sauce on top. Uh, Something you have to experience to really understand it. But they really don't get them in Lock Haven, so they look for us to come up there and bring them along with a box of soft pretzels. Mm-hmm. So they were expecting me up there. And like I said, I am kind of the vice president of the LHU Boxing Alumni, so I'm really supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was funny. When we decided, I said, okay, listen, I'm, I was at work when I talked to them. I said, go order the pies. Order the pies, and then on Saturday, I had to go down and get my weekly train pass for work. So I went down and got the train pass, went across the street where the pretzel factory is, got a box of 50 pretzels, went a mile down the road, got the tomato pies, went home, got my workout in, showered, we left. So we went up there, um, and hey, the show was the show was great. It was good to see everybody again, got up in the ring. I got to send Tom a picture of me in the ring, and I'll tell you, Tom, because I want you to tell me what staring across the ring at that face would look like. Hideous. Telling you. Um, but, what was also great was on Sunday morning that I had breakfast with Dr. Cox. Because um, Dr. Cox, for the last few years, um, you know, after his wife passed away in 2012, I think I saw him at the 2013 show. And that's the last time I saw him. Um, in 2014 and 15, he's been in, um, you know, like basically assisted living in Harrisburg. and has been able to make the show. And, you know, I felt bad that I haven't seen him. You know, I sent him a Christmas card. Well, they've moved him to assisted living up in Lock Haven now. So they got him in his wheelchair and they brought him to the show. They sat him at ringside. So all, you know, during the course of the show, they sit there with him and we would talk to him. And, you know, and then we, like, we got a picture together, which was really nice. And um, it was good to see him because I couldn't stay for breakfast the next morning. We were out of there that early. Um, then we went to the Sons of Italy afterwards. Uh, with a bunch of the Lock Haven alumni, and then a couple of the opposing um, coaches were there. Some of the officials were there. And we had tomato pie, we had some soft pretzels, we had a few drinks. And, you know, my dad really enjoyed it. Uh, we went back to the hotel around 3, um, around 8 in the morning. We got up, jumped in the car, boom, to Philadelphia. So I didn't get to see live, but I was following online. I remember we were driving to the Sons of Italy when the first round happened, and I remember somebody posting, if the first round is any indication, this is going to be a fun fight. And that was the fight where Hank, or that was the round where Hank, you know, took charge and won that round, but Crawford's notoriously been a slow starter, and then once he figured him out, unfortunately, like I said, Hank had to fight a near flawless fight, because uh, he didn't have the chin to stand up to Crawford's power. And uh, once Crawford started, you know, coming home with them punches, um, you know, he took Hank out of there. But, hey, kudos to get a great fight on HBO and to give the undefeated champion best. Yeah. Not too shabby. And uh, it seemed like a fight that was really thrown together on very short notice, too. Um, I've known about it for a few months. Uh, just because Mel and Hank from the code cut out there. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there wasn't, really wasn't a whole lot of news about it, that's for sure, until it actually was coming up. Um, right. So I don't know whether that's because I don't have the right PR people anymore sending me stuff or what. But, yeah, we didn't have too much on uh, Fight News Unlimited about it, even. But, um, while I'm waiting for all these uh, boxing schedules and stuff to uh, pop up here, 
do want to mention uh, a little UFC news. We had, uh, of course, UFC Fight Night 84 uh, last Saturday night or Sunday, actually, I think it was. I forget. Saturday night, yeah. Uh, and it was uh, actually from the UK. It was the afternoon when it started, actually. But uh, Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisping was the main event there. I did not watch most of the fights because uh, I couldn't get the... Uh, the stream to work for me and it was actually also on UFC Fight Pass which I'm not a member of so I was trying to bootleg the stream off that and uh, so I didn't watch it but I read a lot about it and uh, Anderson Silva had a little bit of controversy because he almost knocked out Bisping number one and number two a lot of people thought he won the fight but it ended up being a unanimous decision for Bisping and of course you know um, anybody in that position fighting somebody in their home country never mind home <laughs> city uh is is gonna feel like they were cheated if it was a close fight <clears throat> um but it is what it is i mean uh he, actually silva pointed out something about corruption in the sport after the fight so he himself thought he was kind of screwed over a lot of the fans thought he was screwed over but um as i said i haven't watched the fight so i don't know um tom did you get a chance to see it uh no Oh. But I did see some uh, highlights, and at the end of that third round, it looked like this thing was really hurt. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just one of those things with uh, the consensus was it was a lot of home cooking. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was interesting. Actually, I just ordered a, a DVD video, um, UFC 100 Knockouts. And uh, it doesn't have uh, any John Jones stuff on it or any really, really, really recent stuff. I would have actually loved to see the um, the knockout with um, Mark Hunt knocking out Stefan Struve. That wasn't on there either, but one that was on there was Dan Henderson versus Michael Bisping. And, uh, man, that was an incredible knockout. It was kind of funny because um, a lot of people don't like Bisping. He's kind of... Uh, kind of redeemed himself a little bit as far as his attitude and his popularity but uh, back then he was coming off uh, the Ultimate Fighter series where he just turned out to be a real jerk <laughs> yeah. apparently people thanked Dan Henderson for the first time in his career instead of coming up to him after the fight and saying good job everybody was thanking him for knocking out Bisping and, and you know and, and, and a lot of that animosity goes back to um that decision, very controversial, that this being won over uh, Matt Hamill, in uh, what a lot of fans regard as maybe one of the worst decisions of all time. And again, that's not it was not this big's fault, but he really caught hell for that. Yeah, I believe it. And uh, one of the best parts about that uh, knockout was. Um, Henderson not only knocked him out with a, with his H-bomb right hand, he came down off his feet and hit him, I think, with an elbow or another punch after the fact. After he was laid out on his back, out cold. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it was like uh, he just left his feet and just landed perfectly. <clears throat> anyway, we're having, uh, we're having some technical difficulties as usual with mm -hmm. uh, my website, so I'm trying to get uh, the full card up on. But um, I mentioned uh, Ray Mancini. <clears throat> I'm looking right at the article here. Um, he's actually uh, talking about uh, the, uh, the fact that boxing is now a maximum 12 rounds for a fight is, is bad for the sport. And this is something that we probably haven't discussed for, for years. <laughs> I can't remember the last time we discussed uh, why there aren't 12 rounds anymore. I mean, why there aren't 15 rounds anymore. <clears throat> but um, he's got some interesting commentary. I know you'll like this, Tony, because it mentions Rocky. He says, uh, Joe Lewis doesn't beat Billy Kahn, and Rocky Marciano doesn't defeat Jersey Joe Walcott simply because they each needed the 13th round. That's true. Plus, Sugar Ray Leonard needed the 14th round against Tommy Hearns for his win, so had their fights been just 12-round affairs, the outcomes would definitely have been much different, and you might have never known just how great those fighters would have been. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, there's another one popping into my head. 
um, you guys correct me, but it seems to me after 12 rounds, I think Jerry Cooney was uh, ahead on at least one scorecard with Larry Holmes, maybe two. If I remember right now, I'm not completely sure of that, but I I, I think there, there was some talk about that. Because, um, oh, right. Because um, I do remember hearing that myself. And yeah, not I'd only... Look, I'd have to look it up to be sure. Not only does but, he think uh, these guys are not fighting enough rounds, he also adds um, that uh, fighters need to fight more in-between fights. Um, like Leo Santa Cruz winning his match with Kiko Mar Martinez. He said that was his first fight since last August. He should have fought twice between fights. <laughs> Well, um, see, I, you know, I, I think the problem would be with this generation, we get into a more work for less pay situation. You know? yeah. <laughs> the unions would be upset. I mean, uh, I, I, I would be, going back to 15 rounds would be a hard sell, right. I, I think. He claims, too, that it wasn't a safety issue. It was a television issue that made them reduce the rounds. Uh, he says if well, you... You know, of all people to be complaining about that, though, because I think that... Uh, Again, look at Ray's fight with Alexis Aguayo. Uh I'd like to see the scoring of that after 12 rounds because I know that uh, it was Aguayo that really was coming on in those final three rounds. And I think he stopped Ray in the 14th, if I remember right. Yes. And I think I remember somewhere that that fight wasn't Ray being ahead. It was dead even. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So... Of course, then that begs the question, too, would the guy who came on in the last three rounds have had a different strategy if it was only 12 rounds? Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get started on this. About how many angels can dance on the head of a pin while we'll being all night. <laughs> uh, he said, if you break it down, 80% of the fights don't go the distance, and because of TV, you have an opening, a closing, and interviews at the end, plus there are more commercials. Uh, <clears throat> so that's pretty much his point there. He's also, uh, if, if the production company and the boxing stuff doesn't take up enough of his time, he's also got a, a wine company. So if you're a wino, you want to pick up some Southpaw <laughs> wine. Mancini Southpaw wine. They're going to unveil their newest selection next month. Uh, round 5 Knockout Red Blend. So uh, check that out if you like red wine. Uh, but... Uh, they use 100% California Napa Valley grapes, according to him. And uh, he's actually an actor and a producer already. Um, I don't know what he's been in that I would have seen, but uh, he says this article says he owns and operates two movie production companies, and he's looking to build a full digital media studio in downtown Youngstown and hopes to have it up and running by this summer. So, uh, very busy guy. Uh, so he said, I've sat with studio heads and with distribution companies and tried to learn all aspects of the business. I'm just trying to understand what they're looking for. Also, I've sat with Wall Street executives in order to better understand what they want and need for their investors. Um, it kind of, it's kind of funny, though, because um, uh, I've never been to Ohio for more than a few minutes at a time. I think I went through Ohio on the way to... Um, meet with the trustee in the Zions case. <laughs> I decided to take the bus to, to save some money. So I, that was the only time I've ever been through Ohio. Um, and uh, he's, he talks about Youngstown uh, as far as the movie business. It's great because it looks like so many other places. He says, uh, downtown Youngstown can take on the look of New York's Lower East Side uh, and also look like South Street in Philadelphia, Tony. Or the North End of Boston. <laughs> And uh, he even says our rolling hills take on the look of Nebraska and flatlands give you the feel of New Mexico or Washington State. Uh, he's added, uh, somebody has to be the gatekeeper and I'm just trying to do my part. Uh, it would also also mean a boost to the local economy and that we can crew up really fast, do our physical and post-production all at one time right here with the restaurants, hotels, and others, the beneficiaries of our work. So, pretty cool stuff there. Uh, another story here, while we're waiting for stuff to load, a uh, UFC story here. Sean Shirk has talked about uh, a comeback, but not in the UFC. He's, he's fed up with the UFC, doesn't like their situation. He's also been out uh, in public supporting the um, UFC antitrust suit, another reason why 
probably wouldn't be able to get a fight in the UFC. Uh, but he says, if given the opportunity to step in the cage one more time against Hoist Gracie, I'm going to take it. I will train like I always do, and I will step into the cage like a man and leave with my dignity intact. Um, so he obviously want to fight for Bellator, because Gracie is now with Bellator. Um, his last fight was a split decision victory over Evan Dunham at UFC 119 in 2010. He's 42 years old, and 36-4-1 uh, is his final record with signature wins over Nick Diaz and Carl Parisian, with losses to George St. Pierre and Matt Hughes. So if, uh, in the event, they don't decide to do a crazy rematch between uh, Hoist and Ken, and uh, <laughs> Hoist does want to continue fighting for Bellator, which I think he needs to do due to his uh, financial obligations now, <laughs> paying lawyers. Yeah, yeah. Right. That, that's that could be sure. a fight. I mean, he, he needs what we call an offer in compromise. He doesn't need the installment plan. <laughs> uh, the, 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 uh, the interest keeps going on an installment plan, so that he does not need to agree to. All right. And, they, they'd love him to sign that. But, Hoist, if you're listening... Make an offer in compromise. Any questions, call me. I specialize in them. And uh, another guy who was on a lot of the uh, knockouts on the uh, UFC 100 knockouts, uh, and Wanderlei Silva is officially back in MMA. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going on with his uh, fighting license because apparently he's still banned in Nevada until uh, late next year. I think May of next year. So... Uh, that's going to cause some issues, possibly, but I would think uh, a Brazilian commission would approve a license for him really fast uh, if they decided to go down to Brazil for an event, which is not out of the question for them, I don't think, but I'm not sure if they have done that yet as an organization. You know, Rich, just, just as an aside, how far back did those 100 great knockouts go? Did they go back a long time? Uh, I do believe they went back to uh, the, some of the earlier UFCs. Not the, not the. There was a couple of them with guys had shoes on. So I mean that tells you before some of the rules were took effect, but not to like yeah, UFC there one. There was uh, probably the, uh, um, the the one in my opinion that still stands out after all these years was Ultimate Ultimate '96 with uh, Tank Abbott knocked out this guy Steve Nelmark. Yeah, that was in there. <laughs> you folded him up like a suitcase, right? Yeah, I, I thought uh, the first thing I was screaming at my girlfriend, and I said, "Oh my God, he killed him!" That's the first thing I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I never seen one quite like that before. So, whoa! <clears throat> well, the number one uh, I did not agree with at all, at all, completely. I I mean, it's a top ten knockout, but I don't think that's number one was uh, Anderson Silva knocking out Vitor Belfort with uh, what some might call an axe kick, other people might call a front kick, but it was, uh, wasn't was even that that knocked him out. It was just knocked him down, and then a couple more punches ended the fight. But uh, I remember watching that fight. It was a great kick. The ball of the foot landed right on the chin and, and uh, just dropped uh, Vitor pretty quick. But I thought the number two knockout was way better, which was uh, Terry Edim versus uh, Ed Edson Barboza. And uh, Edson just came around with this uh, spinning wheel kick and just perfectly connected with Edim's chin to the point where when he fell down, he froze in midair like an action figure <laughs> with his hands up. He just totally froze. And, and when he landed on the ground, instead of his arms hitting the ground, they just like stayed frozen. Oh, it was unbelievable. And it reminded me a lot of Uriah Hall's knockout over... Um, the guy on uh, the Ultimate Fighter there, <clears throat> forget the kid's name, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was just as bad, if not worse. <clears throat> but uh, my favorite, I thought should have been number one, was uh, Wanderlei's knockout over um, Rampage Jackson and Pride, because they did have some Pride fights on there too. <clears throat> Surprisingly, you know, they didn't throw too many in there. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I, I remember that one. Rampage was just falling like a tree. It was when they went through, he, he kneed him, the last knee, we missed like four or five knees, and the last knee just glanced off the temple, and then he just kind of shrugged him off with the Muay Thai clinch, so Rampage went directly through the ropes. Yep. And uh, 
The only boxing equivalent one, I guess, would be the, um, who is it, Rachman versus uh, some Russian guy where he was literally thrown out of the ring and counted out out of the ring. <clears throat> who was that? Yeah, that was uh, Oleg Moskov. Yes, that, that was pretty comparable, but it was actually there was a lot more time out of the ring. Because, you know, in MMA, yeah, there is no wrong. count. I, I remember Moscow, I think, won the rematch in there, too. He just seemed to have um, Rockman's number. Yeah. And you know, you know what was funny about that? Um, the, okay, um, Moscow knocked Rockman out of the ring, but then Kirk Johnson knocked Moscow out of the ring. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he, he gave and he got. Right. Uh, we also got to finish this uh, lineup for Bisping versus Silva. The co-main event there was uh, Gagard Musasi getting a win over Taylor's Ladies. Another fight I did not watch. It was a unanimous decision win for Musasi. Tom Breeze beat Kita Nakamura by unanimous decision. A lot of decisions on this card. Uh, Brad Pickett won by split decision over Francisco Rivera. Makwan Amir Khani beat Mike Wilkinson by unanimous decision. Davy Grant beat Marlon Vera by unanimous decision. Uh, there was one TKO. Scott Askham beat Chris Dempsey by uh, punches and a head kick. And they had three unanimous decisions in a row. Arnold Allen beating Yeltsin Meza. Christoph Jotko beating Bradley Scott. And Rustam Kabilov beat Norman Park. Uh, and uh, Norman uh, is from that area, so that must have been disappointing for him. Uh, Daniel Omelanchuk beat Jarjus Danho by technical decision. Whatever that is, never heard of that. Uh, Timu Pakalen beat Tibalt Gauti by rear naked choke. And uh, the first fight of the night was David Timor beating Martin Svensson by TKO the second round. And then, of course, you've got this big fight this weekend. UFC 196 was supposed to be uh, Dos Anjos versus McGregor. Now we've got uh, Diaz versus McGregor at an entirely different weight. We've got um, swings being thrown at the weigh-in. No, it was a press conference, I guess, today. Um, weigh-in won't be until tomorrow. Uh, but uh, we got some swings being thrown by McGregor. There was a little melee. And uh, like I said last week... You couldn't have picked two people with bigger attitudes to go against each other. Well, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be the fascinating uh, chatter going on uh, in that in the middle of that first round because Diaz is just so so ghetto. <laughs> I just don't think there's any psyching him out, and mm. I know that McGregor uh, will try, but I, I just don't see that happening. Uh, you know, this is. This is kind of annoying with a lot of these uh, guys on the underground that uh, are so convinced McGregor's going to have a cakewalk in this fight. Right. Uh, maybe, but, again, styles make fights. And a tall, lanky southpaw with decent boxing skills is um, a whole different type of opponent than uh, Dos Anjos would have. Well, so, unfortunately, um, we've had a situation where Nate Diaz has been so inconsistent over the years. We don't know which uh, Nate Diaz is going to show up. He's taken this fight on short notice. The only really advantage that he has here is that he is way heavier than McGregor is used to fighting at. Uh, 170, I mean, what a jump. But at the same time, people are talking about McGregor like he's got to be on steroids the way he's filled up all that weight <laughs> suddenly. Well, uh, so you we know, know, I mean, anyone else going from 145 to 170, you'd have to think they're the underdog. But so far, McGregor is just... He's uh, like the MMA version of uh, the young Cassius Clay. Everything he said he would do, he's done it. Right. Everything. Across the board. Uh, I think that, but, but it's still intriguing, because if Diaz can keep pressure on him and just stay in his face, I mean, Diaz isn't really a big knockout puncher, but he's just one of those guys that throws a million punches around. And if you go back and look at that Michael Johnson fight, he did throw a few more kicks and at least try to block some of them. And in earlier fights, he hadn't done that. Rafael Dos Anjos about broke his waist. Right. And he wasn't even trying. I mean, you know, everyone in the gym learns that you've got to check those kicks. You can't just eat them like that. But maybe he's uh, he, he's evolved his game. And I think on the ground, uh, that would really be fascinating because I think his submission game is a definite edge over McGregor. So um, we'll see what happens. I mean, you've got to go with Connor as the favorite, but... Diaz is a hard guy to stop. 
Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I bet you one thing is for certain. I don't think Lorenzo Fertitta or Frank Fertitta are going to be betting on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I still think the, the whole thing yeah. with Frank slamming the belt down after Jose Aldo got knocked out had a lot yeah. to do with some kind of bet, but uh, I haven't confirmed that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though, we, we have, no matter how you feel about McGregor, uh, he has my total respect yeah. for making this weight change. And this, I mean, it's just like old school. Like, he never just, I think his comment was in warfare, there's no weight divisions. Uh, and and this, this is a guy going back to uh, Henry Armstrong fighting in three different divisions simultaneously. So you just don't see that anymore. It's just so, just refreshing. I mean, he saved this card. Well, for me, I mean, I'm the type of guy who I, I also respect talent and skill and all that, but um, when a guy like Connor comes along who is probably infinitely worse than Ronda Rousey as far as ego getting him in trouble, um, I, it's just got to happen at some point where he gets too cocky, I think, and, and he pays for it. And I don't think it's going to be this fight, but um, I was hoping uh, Dos Anjos would show that. <laughs> He's too cocky for his own good. But um, Connor, like you said, keeps doing stuff that he says he's going to do. And uh, he's obviously made millions doing it. He made $2.5 million off Fertitta alone. The, I don't know if both brothers were involved, but I'm pretty sure at least one of them were. When uh, that, that bet was made public, too, which was kind of odd because I didn't think, you know, guys uh, in the casino business would want it known that they're losing bets. <laughs> <laughs> Right? They can afford it. I'm, I'm sure they can afford it. But, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, I, I know what you mean. I mean, he, he, but it, it, it was the same psychology with Cassius Clay. People wanted to see him get beat, but people showed up. For right. sure, people showed up. And then you've got Ronda's replacement, the um, new champ, Holly Holm, 10-0, going up against Misha Tate in the co-main event. And... Um, this is a pretty interesting fight because uh, Misha claims that she's got Holly's kryptonite and Holly's trainers say that Misha's getting knocked out in the second round. So they're taking a page out of Connor's book with a prediction. Well, uh, you, you, you got to think that Misha's only edge might be on the ground because I think on the feet, and no disrespect to Misha, I mean, she was, she was just a great guest when we had her on. I mean, I think the world of her, but I, I, on the feet, it just seems like everything she does, Holly does better. Yeah. And on, and on the you ground, cannot, um, you can't count out Holly because of her experience. I mean, that's just years and years of experience, uh, boxing experience. And if Misha has any chance to beat her, it w I would think it has to be some kind of wrestling involved because that's the only category yeah. where she has more experience, I think, than home. But, uh, but uh, <laughs> then again, Holly is, is I'm sure her, her lateral movement and her takedown defense is going to be right where it needs to be. Right. And I think Misha's going to have to get in range of those those fists and kicks that, that Holly throws. And as Holly showed, she's not afraid to go to the ground by taking Ronda down. Right. So uh, I, I think Misha's in for a long night. And uh, late latest news on Rousey is, um, you know, her spoof commercial there with Bud Light being the uh, security guard for... Um, uh, Seth Rogen and uh, who was the other girl there? Whatever her name is. Uh, well, they uh, Seth Rogen asks her, "When are you gonna fight again?" And she puts him in a headlock and says, "I said no questions." <laughs> Probably a lot of people have seen that, but uh, that's literally Rhonda's position. Uh, apparently, according to her publicist, this is, a, this is just a headline. I saw. I didn't read the whole story, but. Apparently, her publicist is going around telling people that no questions about fighting. They don't, they don't even want to talk about it right now, which is kind of weird because you know, uh -huh. you'd think that uh, it's definite that she's coming back. Uh, and that kind of talk makes me think well, we might see another uh, situation like uh, Gina Carano here. where She just disappears yeah. off into the sunset in the movies. And, and that's the last exactly. we hear from her. But she did come out and say that she wants Misha Tate to get her ass kicked. <laughs> Which is funny because Misha came out afterwards and said she'd like to see uh, Rousey get her rematch against Holly. So talk about taking the high road. Good job, Misha, there. 
Uh, also on this card, we've got Brandon Thatch taking on Sayar Bahadurzada, I guess. I don't even know if I'm getting that one right. Bahadurzada. Sounds like it's pronounced. Okay, so Thatch is 11 and 3. Bahar blah, 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 is 21, 6 and 1. We got uh, Elir Latifi also on the card, 11 and 4, fighting Gian Volante, who's 14 and 6. Amanda Nunez in another female fight, taking on Valentina Shevchenko, 12 and 1. That should be a pretty decent fight. Uh, Eric Silva also on the card, fighting Nordine Taleb, who's 11 and 3. Filthy Tom Lawler on the card. He's 10 and 5, fighting Corey Anderson of the Ultimate Fighter there fame. Won that series a few few years ago now. Darren Elkins, 19 and 5, fighting Chaz Skelly, who's 15 and 1. And, and look at uh, Diego Sanchez versus Jim Miller in the fourth fight of the night. How does that happen? How do these guys get that far down the card? Jim is uh, 25 and 7. Diego is 25 and 8. So obviously a very good matchup on paper. We'll see if it uh, translates to the cage like that. But uh, also third fight of the night, Vitor Miranda, 11 and 4, fighting Marcelo Guimarães, who is 9, 1 and 1. Justin Salas in the second fight of the night, 12 and 6, fighting Jason Sago, who's 10 and 2. And the first fight of the night is Julian Erosa, 15 and 2, fighting Teruto. Ishihara, who is 7-2-2. Two, and, two. and we got a lot of boxing coming up this weekend. Let's go to uh, right to Saturday here. Let's see what we got to talk about. I'll get to something. Come on, Boxrec. You can do it. Man, a lot of stuff all over the world going on. Mexico, there's a WBC World Female Flyweight title. Might look like a mismatch of the week here, but uh, Jessica Chavez, 25-4-3 at flyweight, will be fighting Vanessa Lorena Taborda, who's only 8-4-3. So experience versus youth, maybe? I don't know what that's going on there. Uh, a big, another big fight in Mexico. Tony's favorite guy, Antonio Margarito, fighting yeah. Jorge Paez Jr. Uh, today's opposite day, by the way. No. <laughs> uh -huh. Margarito, 38 and 8, coming back at super welterweight here and uh, leading this card in Mexico City uh, against George or Jorge, as they probably pronounce it, Paez Jr. 39, 7 and 2. So, uh, again, a uh, great match on paper. Uh, but uh, this is a long, uh, long time on the bench for uh, Antonio Margarito. So we'll see if that affects him or not. Uh, some other decent fights also on this card. Emmanuel Navarrete, 12-1 at Bantamweight, fighting Oswaldo Castro, who is 22-6-3. Uh, Raul Hinojosa. 11-6-1 at lightweight, fighting Juan Antonio Rodriguez, who's 28-6. Another fight on that card. Pretty decent one. <coughs> what else we got coming out? So yeah, Margarito. It's going to be interesting to see if he tries to fight in the U.S., though. I don't think he'll get uh, that kind of uh, opportunity <laughs> in the United States. To headline a lot of cards anyway. I don't think he's very popular here. No. Uh, and then over in Russia, one of the biggest fights of the week, uh, weight wise and uh, matchup wise, we've got uh, Ruslan Chagayev, 34 2 and 1 at heavyweight. Uh, and this is going to be on US TV, uh, a wealth of entertainment is the, uh, the broadcaster if you've got a way to see that. Uh, I would recommend, uh, if you want to watch this one, uh, firstrowsports.eu is where I watch all my uh, MMA stuff. So usually you can find a free feed. You just got to deal with a shitload of pop-ups. But uh, Chagayev is fighting Lucas Brown, who's undefeated at 23-0. This is for the WBA World Heavyweight title. Must have been one of the ones that was stripped from <laughs> from Tyson Fury or maybe just the, one of the ro rogue organizations. I don't know. So many titles out there. 
But uh, the co-main event here is also for a title, the Vacant International Boxing Organization Intercontinental Super Middleweight title. Opti Ustarkanov will be fighting Thomas Mashali in this one. Uh, Ustarkanov is 11-2-2. Mashali is 17-3-1. Those are the big ones there. And we got a big card over in the UK in Birmingham. Sam Eggington at welterweight, 17-2, fighting Bradley Skeet, 22-1 for the British welterweight title in the main event. We got the WBA Intercontinental Super Flyweight title on the line with Khalid Yafe, 17-0, and Dixon Flores, 12-3-2, fighting each other there. And uh, Super Bantamweight title uh, of the British Empire. It's on the line. Uh, Bobby Jenkinson, 9-1-1, fighting Khalid's brother, it looks like, Gamal Yafai, who is 8-0. And then uh, Michael Rooney. I don't know if he's related to uh, the Rooneys here, uh, famous for uh, training Tyson there. But uh, Michael Rooney, 9-0, lightweight, fighting Marcus French, who's a lint for the Midlands area lightweight title. Kevin Rooney, that's what I'm thinking of. Alright, let's see what else we got. <clears throat> we got uh, District of Columbia, Oscar De La Hoya is putting on some fights on HBO this weekend. Uh, Luis Ortiz fighting Tony Thompson at heavyweight, another big heavyweight fight. Yeah. Ortiz is uh, 24 and 0. Thompson is 40 and 6. Um, and Thompson has uh, has been around the block a time or two in the boxing been world. Around the block. I don't think this is going to be too easy for him, you know. And still looking good. I mean, he's uh, still looking good, but you know, um, got a tough opponent here. Yeah, he's past his prime. Um, you know, it's not going to be an easy dance for him. And then we've got uh, Jesse Vargas, 26-1 uh, at welterweight, fighting for the vacant WBO World Welterweight title against Saddam Kid Ali, World Kid, I think they call him. He is 22-0, undefeated. And uh, I bet you his uh, nickname would never be Hussein Ali, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be bad for publicity. <laughs> A also on the card for fighting for the interim WBC World Featherweight title is uh, Robinson Castellanos, who's 23-11, and 11, and Oscar Escondon, who is 24-2 there. Uh, and then another undefeated fighter, Rashidi Ellis, 14-0, will be fighting Marco Antonio Lopez, who's 24-8 at welterweight there. A lot of other decent fights on this card, too, so... I don't know what uh, Oscar's complaining about as far as this antitrust stuff and monopolizing the business with uh, premier boxing champions because it doesn't seem like he's having any trouble putting this kind of a fight card together, which seems pretty decent to me. And, of course, uh, Showtime's got its competitor here. Uh, coming from Tony's neck of the woods, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, where Jesus yes, was born, right? <laughs> Was Jesus born there? Um, yeah, maybe uh, Jesus Chavez. <laughs> uh, the main event here is uh, no titles on this card, but the main event is Julian Williams, 21-0-1, fighting Marcelo Matano, who is 16-1. That's a super welterweight fight. Yeah, a total eliminator, too, so that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, I got to cover Julian one of his fights a couple years ago, and he was really just starting out, so he's a Exciting young fighter, um, and now he's getting his, um, you know, a chance to, um, you know, get his name out there and work for a shot of a world title. And we also have Tony Harrison at middleweight fighting Fernando Guerrero. Harrison is 22 and one. Guerrero is 28 and three. We've got Antoine Douglas, 19-0-1 at middleweight fighting Avtandel Kurtzids. Probably butchering that last name, but uh, Kurtzids is 31-2 and two. And we've got Evgen Kurtov. Definitely not getting that one right. He is 12-0, fighting Kenneth 
McNeil, who is 9-1 at middleweight. So we got three straight middleweight fights on the card. And then uh, our boy, former guest of ours, Joey Dueco, 16-4-2, will be fighting Italo Perea, who is 6-2-1. That's a heavyweight fight. And uh, should be a good one. And let's see what else. If we got anything else. No. There's a lot of stuff going on for the weekend. Those are the big televised ones anyway. Also, um, the uh, Chagaya fight that I mentioned earlier, that's, uh, that's a card being put out by Ricky Hatton's promotional company, believe it or not. So, Ricky's staying busy. Alright, so now we're into Sunday. That's about it for the schedule. Alright, uh, I think that about does it. Let me just check real quick. Oh, we do have a Bellator fight on Friday, tomorrow night. <clears throat> Pretty big one for Joe Warren, trying to get himself back in the title picture. Yeah, Joe, Joe is always entertaining. Calls himself the baddest man on the planet. This is, he's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Stole that from Mike Tyson, I think. But <laughs> let me get that up. We'll chat about that in a minute. But Bellator is making some interesting moves. Um, you know, obviously with uh, the signing of uh, Wanderlei, as we mentioned. They're probably going to try to get him some kind of fight uh, as soon as they can, but, um, you know, if they... There is uh, talk that if they do get him a fight, uh, it might piss off the people in Nevada, and they might not want to give him a license because they d he didn't take his suspension seriously. Uh, but he was actually, at one point, suspended for life. A lifetime ban. And then they reduced it, I think, to three years or something. Uh, for running away from a drug test there and at his gym. Literally, running away. Uh, Chael Sonnen <laughs> had a field day with that one. I, I, I just have this mental image of that. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think there should be circus music playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the, the old uh, black and white uh, silent movies with the Keystone Cops, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, real fast motion. Guy's coming in with a cup and a test kit, and there goes Wanderlei out the back door. <clears throat> it's a little worse than uh, stories about uh, John Jones hiding under the cage <laughs> from uh, his testing people. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, uh, Joe Warren will be fighting this weekend. Well, tomorrow night, actually on this Bellator card and once I get this to load we'll go over the rest of the card might be actually just quicker to look it up and google here oh. so I only have one other window open I don't know why it's taking so goddamn long technical difficulties I don't know if we ever talked about it uh, on the last show either, but um, maybe it was something that happened during that week we took off there because I was sick. Bellator has also come out with an idea to start a whole kickboxing uh, company which will be a wing of Bellator, so that's another interesting thing coming down the pipe. I haven't heard any updates on that since the initial press release came out, but uh, it's definitely something that's uh, exciting going on there that uh, should pan out to be pretty good. But uh, yes, uh, Joe Warren will be fighting Darian Caldwell here at Bellator 151. And Warren is 13-4, Caldwell is 8-0. We also have uh, Gilbert Smith, 
12 and 4, who was uh, on the same Ultimate Fighter series that uh, I got a bunch of interviews out of and did an article for an MMA magazine about, Gilbert Smith. Uh, he's 12 and 4, fighting Fernando Gonzalez, who's 24 and 13. So a lot of experience there. And uh, he's on a four fight win streak as well, Gonzalez. Also, Goiti Yamauchi, 19 and 2. We'll be fighting another, uh, actually, no, Bubba. I was thinking Bubba. Bubba was also, another guy named Bubba was also on that show when I interviewed him. But this is a different Bubba. Bubba Jenkins, who is 10 and 2. And Goiti is coming off three straight wins. Uh, so Bubba's going to try to end that streak. And then we've got uh, Bantamweights, Sirwan Kakai, 12 and 3, and Joe Ty Manglo, who is 21-6-1. So those are the big fights there. Preliminary card. Uh, we've got Roger Carroll fighting Neiman Gracie. Steve Garcia fighting Ricky Tercios. I don't have their records right in front of me. Justin Patterson fighting Chance Recounter. Chris Jones versus Ray Wood, Derek Palmer versus Jermaine Barnes, and Treston Thomason versus Aaron Roberson. And if there's one thing I think Bellator's got to fix is uh, getting a few more well-rounded fighters with names on their preliminaries, because it seems like uh, everybody on their preliminaries I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, Ray Wood. I've heard of Ray fight. Wood, just because he's been um, he's been in the uh, main circuit up here. Fighting there. Uh, New England Fights promotes him or has promoted him before. <clears throat> so it's good to see him take a step up there. But that about does it for us. I think we've covered a lot this week and uh, we'll be looking forward to talking about the big fights from this weekend next week on the show. I'll be sending you guys pictures from Florida when I'm misbehaving myself. All right. You gonna uh, you gonna vote for Trump while you're down there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah I went to uh, my first professional fight, Trump Taj Mahal. I have a lot of fond memories. Right. All right. Michael Moore and Burt Cooper, 1992. Nice. I saw young Arturo Gotti on the card, so got to stand for something. All right. All right, folks. Well, thanks everybody for listening and subscribing to us on uh, fightradio.info at the podcast machine there and uh, we're definitely ha going to have a guest next week I know I say that a whole bunch of times and, and don't deliver but <laughs> this time I'm swearing on the bible Okay. <laughs> whether it's Ray Mancini or Paul Gibson there that I talked about from the UK we're going to figure something out and uh, probably if it's the UK guy uh, we might have to do it a different time because of the time time difference but uh we'll we'll probably do the interview separate and uh then just uh have it pre-recorded for the live show so we'll just play okay. it and then walk away after <coughs> as it uh broadcasts so we'll let you guys know first and then uh we'll put it out on the blog once the episode is set in stone so we'll see you next week folks Thanks All for stopping right. by. It's going to be a wild weekend. Let's enjoy it. Yep. All right. Adios.